And sorry, I know you guys wanted to clap, but everything I'm going to say is going to be amazing. Um, <laughs> how do you pay, man? Uh, if you don't write checks, how do you pay these guys? Great cash, homie. Mama, there goes that man. Hello and welcome to Carson's Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. It is episode 60. We have the mail sack segment that's going to get us started here in a very brief moment. We have college football to talk. We have NFL to talk. And I'm just very excited to get this episode underway. A bit of a milestone episode, 60th. It's it's a round number, 6-0, so take that as you will, bit of a round number before we get into everything. You knew this was coming at some point in the episode, so let's just get it out of the way. Like, rate, review, subscribe, all of that other good shit on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcast from. Let's jump right into the mail sack for this week. First question comes from Ty Spaulding, who asks, what would you make the spread of the Kentucky-Louisville football game as of now? This question comes after Louisville's big win at Wake Forest, who was 19th in the country, and Kentucky's not as big of a win, but still an important win over Arkansas with Lynn Bowden as their, as their quarterback. I Applied to Ty immediately and told him, as of right now, I could see it ranging anywhere from a pick'em to Kentucky as a three or three and a half point favorite. I still think that Louisville's defense is susceptible to big plays, and I mean they gave up 59 points to Wake Forest, and I get that Wake Forest's offense is a little bit at the moment more dynamic than what Kentucky's could be, but. It, a lot can change. I mean, just from the start of the season to now, um, I don't think anybody thought that either quarterback that is starting or is playing the majority of the games for Louisville and Kentucky with Conley for Louisville and uh, Lynn for Kentucky would be anywhere near the starting quarterback position. But yet, here they are. So a lot can change. Uh, the defense for Louisville so worries me. And the predictability, sort of, if Kentucky's offense doesn't continue to evolve with Lynn at quarterback and he's not throwing the ball a little bit more. And they didn't have to against Arkansas. I get that because they were able to run the ball and control the line of scrimmage, which they might be able to do against Louisville with their size being a bit of an issue for them on defense, but if we've seen anything so far under Satterfield and the defensive coaches for Louisville is what they lack in size, they make up for in sound technique, um, good play calls, good game plans. So it'll be interesting to see how the seasons continue for both of these teams to develop and if any other injuries continue to plague Kentucky or if Conley does take a step back and there is a bit of a quarterback controversy or issue between Cunningham and Conley and how um, Satterfield would be able to handle that. So to answer that question, 
again, I think it could go from anywhere as a pick em to Kentucky being a three or three and a half favorite. But if things continue to trend how they are for Louisville and Kentucky, I could easily just see it being a pick em or even have Louisville be favored a little bit. And that's with if Louisville keeps winning and continues on their just, I don't want to say incredible, but very good to great season so far. And they have surpassed expectations of, I think, the majority of fans and, I guess, experts. I mean, Vegas only had them at three and a half wins, and they've already got four right now. And now the um, expectation for Louisville football, I guess, this year is to make a bowl. I'm not saying this as a detractor or a hater, but let's let's hone everything in. Let's keep everything realistic. There, uh, There's a lot of losable games left on the schedule. There are winnable games. Obviously, Clemson this week, it's, that, I, it's not going to happen. As much as Louisville fans want it to, I don't think that's going to happen. But Virginia, you have a chance there. Syracuse, North Carolina State, both of those teams don't look as advertised. And then... Miami, that's a bit, um, there's, again, I just want to see, to continue to see how things develop for both of these teams, to answer that entire question. Next, we have a question from first time, long time, Maeve Armstrong, who asks, are the Yankees going to win the World Series? I have a Yankees hat from an ex that I wear to the gym, and now people think I'm a fan. Help. Uh, the, The Yankees... Very well could win the World Series tonight. Um, recording this podcast, actually, right after the end of the Astros-Yankees Game 3. The Yankees did end up losing that game 4-1. to Servano uh, for them, pitching was a bit of an issue. And that offense just hasn't clicked so far um, in this series to what it's cap- excuse me, capable of. If the pitching can stay okay where it has been and that offense picks up then yes there is an extremely good chance that the Yankees could end up turning this series around and making the World Series and quite possibly winning the entire World Series but the way the Astros pitchers have played it and that offense and how just smart they are in game and everything too the way the Astros play and the manager and how just smart they are it's it's very, it's very cool to see, appreciate good baseball, and the Astros just play good damn baseball. So, to answer your question, Maeve, yes, the Yankees still could win. They have a bit of a long road ahead of them. I get they're only one game back um, in the series, but there is very little margin for error. The next question comes from Addy Miners, who asks, Do you think Georgia can still make the national championship after the loss of South Carolina this weekend? This is hoping the dogs don't face the Buckeyes, though. What a smart, insightful answer and question you just posed there at the end of your question. Um, Yeah, South the South Carolina loss hurts Georgia, but it doesn't hurt them. I don't want to say a ton because it it does hurt them, but I really think if given what Georgia has left on their schedule, if they were to win out and win the SEC, I think you're going to be pretty hard-pressed to hold out an SEC champion with one loss, and I get it was to an unranked team 
with their third-string quarterback, and it was at your place, but the committee and ratings and all this other stuff that can factor into things certainly is... History does not um, really rule against the SEC in the college football playoff. They will find a way to get at least one and at times two teams into the college football playoff. And again, the... It seems a lot easier said than done. Just win out, Georgia, and you're in. But I think that is the only way that Georgia has any chance at all of making it into the college football playoff and, in turn, winning the national championship. Next, we have Davis Canapel, who, who again, he loves sending in these questions. Um, he asks, is it Baker or Freddie's fault? And then he throws in a hashtag, Freddie's, at the end. Yeah, um, Freddie Kitchens for the Browns seems extremely overwhelmed as a head coach. I, I don't have an issue with him challenging that play at the end of the game where Jarvis Landry, it looked like he scored, but there just wasn't enough evidence to overturn the call on the field that he didn't score. The problem I, and I don't really have a problem with what he did in the game either. He called a good game. They were putting up points, everything like that. The only... Shit, I just got electrocuted. That's hey, it's it's live podcast, folks. I could go back and edit that in uh, post production, but we're not gonna do that. Nope, we want you to hear that. Now back to the question that Davis asked. The only problem that I had with how Freddie Kitchens uh, handled the game Sunday was the back-to-back same play call uh, for fourth and goal, and I mean they ultimately did end up scoring. Uh, the next drive, where after Se- after Seattle's punter just totally shit the bed on a punt. But the back-to-back same play call of a run and the exact same run, uh, I did not like that. That is what rubbed me the wrong way about Freddie Kitchens' play calling in that game. But everything else besides that, I don't really have a problem with it. I think overall... If you look at how Baker's performed, it's not as well, but on seven of his 11 interceptions, it's been a tipped or a wide receiver drop or something along those lines, so it's not all on him. If we want to go by that, then only four of those interceptions of his 11 so far this year are his fault, and he's he's playing, he's had a very up and down year, I get that, but he's playing well enough, I mean... They had this game, almost won. They were close to winning the game against the Rams, which I think is getting lost in the whole scheme of things here, is at the end of that Rams game, and they ran the four pass plays in a row. It was run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. Okay, now we get to Seattle, and they have a chance to run the ball again near the goal line at the end of the game. And they do run the ball, and now it's, oh, it's so predictable. They did the same thing two times in a row. I I get that, and I get that. I'm kind of calling myself out on this, and there are a ton of people who are just being hypocrites in the entire situation. And just everybody, everything gets so overanalyzed with the Browns because of the expectations. Give it some time. I don't, I don't think they're going to beat the Patriots, obviously. I just, it's going to be too hard but the rest of that schedule gets easy and there are some rumors that they're going to sign Trent Williams the 
all-pro left tackle from the Redskins and trade for him if they can do that. That's an incredible trade and a huge pickup for that disastrous offensive line. Right now, to answer your question, though, Dave, yeah, I think if we're going to put the blame on anybody right now, it needs to go on Freddie Kitchens rather than Baker Mayfield. Next, we have a question from Gresham Shepard who asks, should the Falcons fire Dan Quinn? Apparently, they have already said that if there's not improvement uh, by week nine, the team's bye week, they are going to move on from him. And I think that's totally fine. I think, well, I do know that since that um, Super Bowl lost to the Patriots. They've got an 18 and 20 record, a losing record, and the NFL is all about what have you done for me lately. And in the last however many games it is, 18 and 20, you have a losing record. So I do think it is time to move on. I think they are probably going to go with an offensive-minded head coach as their next hire because that offense right now, that window with Matt Ryan, I don't want to say it's closing, but it's getting closer and closer to being shut and. They have the pieces with the receivers at the skill positions and the running backs and Matt Ryan still. It's time that offense finally starts producing how it should and maybe they can bring in a just a stellar defense coordinator and the new offensive minded head coach will just be like, all right, I know my place. I'm the head coach. I know my specialty is on offense. I'm going to bring in this good-ass D coordinator and I'm going to let him do his fucking thing. That's where I think the Falcons are headed, and unfortunately that is without Dan Quinn. Next, we have a question from Jay Bentley who asks, after Kentucky's win this weekend, how do you see the Cats finishing this season? They have a couple winnable games. Um, The last two are against very shitty teams. They have to play Tennessee. The Missouri game is a bit concerning because they're kind of coming into form, and Kelly Bryant is looking pretty fucking good and the Louisville game it's gonna be a extremely close game I feel like I would love if like but that game was like a play-in for a bowl like if either of us won that game that would be our sixth or bowl eligible win that'd be fun but I think the Cats are going to be able to to maybe be able to develop more of an offense around Lynn's skill set, and hopefully they let him throw the ball a little more to keep defensive honest because when we play against better teams with better fronts that are going to be able to just load the box, running the ball as much as we did is going to be a bit difficult, but I think we need to be very appreciative of how um, Eddie Grand scripted and designed that offense and called that game around Lynn's strengths and ended up getting a W. That wraps up this week's edition of the Mail Sack. I appreciate everyone, as always, for sending in their very best questions. Thank you all. And that segment is going to make a return in two weeks. So be on the lookout the 20... Eighth, yeah, yeah, Monday, October 28th, on my Instagram and Snapchat stories for you to be able to send in your questions for that segment that week. Now let's switch focus. Let's go to college football for week eight, and there's some intriguing games on the slate. We are going to start with, because it's a Friday game for some reason. Uh, let's start with the fourth ranked Ohio State Buckeyes going to Northwestern, one and four on the year. 
I was talking to one of my good friends in Lexington this past weekend, a fellow Buckeye fan, Alan Jones, who at some point is going to get on this pod. I think we're aiming for the the Penn State game week, and he brought up a point that I really liked was the games that Ohio State has lost in the past couple years on the road to lesser opponents has always been teams that we weren't really expecting. Going back two years, Iowa, going back to last year, Purdue. And when the schedule came out this year for Ohio State, everybody really had the Nebraska game pegged and thought about as, oh, that's the game they're going to lose. Now, this game against Northwestern, nobody, I don't think anybody feels like a blow them out, everything like that. Yes, that should be the expectation, but there is some of those reservations, and there should be, given the past couple years for Ohio State, how they have slipped up two lesser teams in road games. And this game, to me, it doesn't fit that profile. It shouldn't be close. I mean, they're like a 28-point favorite is Ohio State right now, and it just shouldn't be a close game at all. But sticking with Allen's point, this is a game that no one's talking about as a potential upset and could be in the cards for maybe it to be a closer game than people expect just because the way Fitzgerald coaches and has Northwestern has one of the most sound and solid like teams. I get they're only one and four, but played Wisconsin pretty close at Wisconsin and I understand that was after Wisconsin's big win against Michigan and so maybe Wisconsin was just a little bit of like a winning hangover and came out a little flat but we're still able to win um it does not really make me feel great that it is probably going to be like this team's Super Bowl so far this year and probably for the entire year but Ultimately, I just think with the bye week and with the new coaching staff and the chip that's been on this team's shoulder all year that Ohio State is going to come out and be dominant and get the win on Friday. I was going to say Saturday, but once again, they're playing it on Friday for some dumb fucking reason. But on Friday night, the Buckeyes, I think, do end up rolling Northwestern. Continuing on. I talked about Clemson and Louisville. Louisville has exceeded expectations and played extremely well so far, but let's be realistic here. They're not going to beat Clemson. Let's just get that over with. Oklahoma, after last week coming off a big win in the Red River rivalry, they host West Virginia. I just think Oklahoma is going to continue to roll, and Jalen Hurts is going to continue on his already monstrous season. So far on the year, he's already got 1,700 yards and 17 touchdowns through the air, and then 630 yards on the ground and eight touchdowns on the ground as well. So I I just continue to see that happening for Oklahoma as they win. Wisconsin goes to Illinois. There's, to me, not a chance. I saw some stat that if Illinois doesn't win this week, the... All-time winning coach for this century is going to, for the fight in Illini, is going to be a coach that Illinois fired in 2011. That's pretty fucking crazy. Um, Florida, ninth in the country, goes to South Carolina. Florida coming off their loss against LSU last week. South Carolina coming off their huge win against Georgia. Um, I don't think... 
there could be two different recipes for disaster for South Carolina. I think they are going to come into this game feeling way too confident. I think Florida's going to come in here feeling extremely pissed off. I think they're going to really I think Florida's front line on defense is going to really get after that third string quarterback for South Carolina and really cause some disruption and the Gators are going to roll South Carolina. Continuing on, Purdue goes to an Iowa team that desperately needs a win, and I think Iowa is going to end up winning that. I think it's just a bounce-back game for them that they desperately, desperately need to win, and they will end up doing that. LSU goes to Mississippi State. Um, LSU, again, coming off their big win against Florida. I just think that that offense with Joe Burrow and that defense is going to just continue to roll for both uh, for LSU on both sides of the ball, and they will end up winning. And we sit and we look at Joe Burrow's number right now through the air. He's got 2,100 yards and 25 touchdowns to only three interceptions. It's just incredible the change that they've made from in one year from where he was kind of being a real tough game manager type quarterback to putting up the numbers he is now. And again, LSU goes to Mississippi State and gets the victory, in my opinion. Next, a big game in the Pac-12. You have Oregon going to Washington. Oregon 12th in the country, Washington 25. This game, as a guy that Said Oregon was going to make the college football playoff. This is a real must-win for Oregon. Uh, Justin Herbert has held up his end of the bargain for Oregon. 1,600 yards, 17 touchdowns, only one interception. On the other side of the field, you got Jacob Eason for Washington, who has played okay so far this year. It concerns me that it's at Washington. That is really the only thing that's holding me back to pick Oregon. So I think Oregon slips up here. And Washington in a rivalry game as well does end up beating Oregon. Let's see. Let's continue on. Baylor, 16th in the country, goes to Oklahoma State. Baylor, 6-0 in the year. I think Oklahoma State um, in Stillwater is going to come out with their hair on fire and put up a lot of points and be able to hold on late and beat Baylor. I think it's going to be an extremely high-scoring game. I think it's going to be exactly what you think of when you have um, Big 12 football. And when there is a ranked team that is a Vegas underdog, which Baylor is, Oklahoma State's giving 3.5. Vegas doesn't just give out free money. They're not just saying, hey, here, here. We're going to hold your hand on this one. We're just going to give you any amount you want to bet. It's yours. We're just going to double it for you. They just don't do that. So I'm going to go with Oklahoma Oklahoma State in this one. Uh, Kentucky goes to Georgia. Uh, recipe for disaster, like I mentioned for the South Carolina and Florida game. Uh, this is the recipe for disaster for Kentucky. Georgia coming off the loss to South Carolina. They are going to play extremely pissed off and imposed their will on both sides of the ball against Kentucky. And I think if nobody comes back hurt or injured or anything like that for Kentucky and they can keep it respectable, then golly, that is about the biggest moral victory you could have for Kentucky this week. Um, next, another big Pac-12 matchup. You have 17th ranked Arizona State going to Utah, five and one. I think if Utah is going to continue to flirt with being a contender in the Pac-12, this is a must-win game for them. And I think that 
the physicality that Utah is going to be able to play with is going to propel them to a victory over Arizona State in the 6 p.m. game that they have on Saturday. Michigan uh, in Penn State play. Michigan 16th in the country. Penn State 7th in the country. Um, I have no belief in Michigan whatsoever. They, uh, they've not shown me anything since that Wisconsin game that would make me change my mind about them whatsoever. And Penn State has looked damn good. Their front seven has looked great. The offense is humming along perfectly. It's in uh, Happy Valley as well. So Penn State, to me, this seems like a no-brainer. And I think things could get a little out of hand. Next, um, again, this will be the last game I talk about for Week 8, and I only bring them up because I've said it once on this podcast, and I'm going to continue to say it. Boise State, the best non-Power 5 team in the country, week in, week out. They just continue to prove me right, but a very challenging road game here at BYU. I understand BYU is 2-4 and four on the year, but playing in Provo, it's hard place to play. It's difficult. The fans are right on top of you. Let's just be cautious here. Any Boise State backers that might be listening to this, let's just give this game and BYU a little bit more respect than what we need to right now. But in the end, ultimately, I think Boise State moves to 7 one the year and continues to prove me right that they are the best non-Power 5 team in the country. Um, that is going to do it for the college football talk. Not a ton of, I mean, there are some big games, but nothing like real crazy. It'll be a good slate of Saturday and one good Friday game. Um, it'll be interesting to see how things turn out for Louisville, UK, um, being here and how they're going to really just handle playing two of the best teams in the entire country. We now switch gears to talk about the NFL, and let's get right to it with Week 7 action. The Thursday night game is the Chiefs coming off two back-to-back losses at home, which just almost never happens, going to the Broncos. Oh, boy. Um, Everybody has really been able the past two weeks to be able to run all over the Chiefs, and the Broncos do boast a fairly good running game and a good offensive line with Phillip and Lindsay and the rest of that offensive line. So the Broncos have my attention in this game. They have my curiosity. I'll give them that. The strengths of the Broncos um, really help out with and match up with the weaknesses of the Chiefs. But I just cannot fathom the Chiefs losing again three in a row. Uh, to move to four and three on the year, so ultimately I just have to go with the Chiefs. Um, Patrick Mahomes, uh, that ankle's been a bit of an issue for him the past couple weeks, but I think he's just going to continue to get healthier. Tyreek Hill had two touchdowns his first week back, and this offense for the Broncos is dog shit. Besides, really the running game. I mean, Joe Flacco is serviceable, and the receivers at times are. They can make big plays, but not consistently enough. So I think that the Chiefs are going to be able to go and put up 
enough points more than the Broncos, which last time I checked is how you win games in the NFL. So the Chiefs will beat the Broncos on Thursday night. Next, you have the Rams, who, breaking news to this podcast, have traded for Jalen Ramsey. I guess it's more Jalen Ramsey. I fucking hate myself, too. Don't worry about it. Like, it's fine. It's a dumb joke. I'm sorry. But, um, yeah, that's actually... A big move. They traded Marcus Peters. They put Aqib Talib on the IR. You now pair what everyone I think agrees with is the best defensive player in the game with Aaron Donald. Now with what in the past year or so has been the best cornerback in the game with Jalen Ramsey. And when you get Clay Matthews back, you have a good pass rusher as well and building on that. So I like what they have done with adding Jalen Ramsey. But the defense, yes, it's been an issue, but so has the offense. Jared Goff hasn't played extremely well. Um, Todd Gurley is dealing with injuries again. So there's a lot of question marks on the Rams. Um, Luckily, though, the Falcons have even more question marks. And I don't think this is a game that... Either For either team, the questions are really going to be answered. I just think that it's going to be a lesser of two evils here, really. And I think the Rams are going to be able to, with the new-look defense, be able to make a few plays when they need to and go into Atlanta and beat the Falcons. Next, you have the Dolphins, who came off a heartbreaking loss after a failed two-point conversion against the Redskins last week, going to the Bills. Uh, The Bills' defense is way too good to even entertain the idea that the Dolphins might have a chance in this one. I get that it's hard to lose every game every single week in the NFL season, but I I think the Dolphins may just be that bad and that team to do it again this year after the Browns did it a couple years ago. So I... I'm going to take the Bills in this one. Next, you have the Jaguars going to the Bengals. I think this could be a sneaky, sneaky game for the Bengals to possibly pick up a win if A.J. Green comes back. Um, That offense will click a lot better. I know that doesn't really solve the issues for them that they have on defense and with that offensive line, but... And their offense with Mixon and A.J. Green and Andy Dalton and Boyd and Eifert at times... um, looks very good from the very very little bit of sample size we have had so I'm going to take if AJ Green plays in a sneaky little upset the Bengals and if he doesn't play I think I'm going to roll with the Jaguars because they've been moving the ball and running the ball extremely well the last couple weeks and that is a huge weakness for the Bengals. Next you have the Vikings who just shit all over the Eagles last week. Kirk Cousins threw for four touchdowns against the Lions, who had just been screwed by the NFL refs on Monday Night Football. I think that the Lions are going to win this one. I think the secondary for the Lions is a lot better than what I and a lot of people gave them credit for at the start of the year. And I think that Kirk Cousins is going to look pedestrian this week and the defensive line for the Lions will be able to get after him and really make that team one-dimensional and hopefully have to play catch-up and make it even more predictable that they're going to pass. And if that is the case, um, Kirk Cousins at times, even when you don't know if it's going to be a run or a pass, struggles to pass the ball. But being down and knowing that they have to throw the ball and the 
Lions just being able to play zone and keep guys in front of them and get after the quarterback and make plays in the secondary uh, does not bode well for Cousins, and I see that being the case for what's happening. So I'm going to take the Lions over the Vikings. Next year, the Raiders going to the Packers. I just don't think the Raiders are a team that is going to go into Lambeau Field and beat the Packers. I think Aaron Jones is going to have another big game. If Aaron Rodgers doesn't find, if Devontae Adams doesn't come back, I, I think Aaron Rodgers, besides the, oh, I forget his name, but the guy that caught the touchdown pass late in the game from Aaron Rodgers that he praised after the game as well, um, I think Aaron Rodgers might just do what he did to his mom and dad and just legally disown every other receiver on the Packers right now if Devontae Adams doesn't come back. And even after saying all of that, and the Raiders have been a bit of a surprise this year so far. They play hard. They have some pieces with Josh Jacobs and Derek Carr hasn't sucked. And the secondary has played well. But, I again, I just don't think the Raiders are a team this year that goes into Lambeau and gets a win. So I go with the Packers. Next, you have a big matchup in the AFC South. You have the Texans going to the Colts. I think there's going to be a major hangover for the Texans in this one after beating the Chiefs last week and I think the Colts are going to come out and smack them in the mouth and play just their style of physical strong up front football and are going to get the win against the Texans this week next we have the Cardinals going to the Giants a matchup of first year quarterbacks between Kyler Murray and the Giants I think the Giants are going to be getting Saquon Barkley back and I think that makes the world of difference. Um, the Cardinals are going to be getting Patrick Peterson back in that secondary this week as well, and that should help a little bit on that defense. But again, I think that the addition of Saquon with his pass catching ability and the ability that he has to take pressure off of Daniel Jones, where defenses can't just obviously know it's going to be a pass and play it like such. And again, Saquon's catching abilities. It's to me, it just looks like a Giants win. Next, you have the undefeated San Francisco 49ers going to the Redskins. And the way the 49ers have played this year is extremely scary. Their defense led by their D-line um, with Nick Bosa and Armstead and a lot of other guys that they have gotten early in the draft. Um, those picks have panned out extremely well. Their linebackers are good. Richard Sherman is resurging his career and playing well in the secondary for them and Jimmy Garoppolo, and their offense is clicking, um, and the Redskins just aren't. And I think it's as simple as that. I think the 49ers go to Washington and get the win. And the 49ers continue to roll after coming up huge last week in the big NFC matchup, um, the NFC West matchup against the Rams. Next, you have the Chargers coming off a extremely disappointing loss at home, hosting the Steelers on Sunday Night Football, going to the Titans. I think this is really a must-win game for both of these teams. The Titans, not really sure who they're going to roll with at quarterback between Marcus Mariota and Ryan Tannehill. Marcus Mariota was pulled in favor of Tannehill, and that says a lot to me. I think that Chargers, no matter who the Titans are going to roll out, would be able to get after him and force their quarterback to make mistakes. The only reasons I would even entertain the Titans being 
a thought in this game is because Mason Ramsey is going to sing the national anthem for this game. That is going to be incredible. You need to watch that. That kid is the next next star. Um, been saying that for years. I stand by that. Um, but I ultimately, in this game, though, I think the Chargers end up beating the Titans. Then you have the Saints going to the Bears. Oh, this is going to be a sneaky good game. And I think the Bears have a chance to pull off the upset if Mitch comes back. And I could see maybe him coming back and just like lighting the the world on fire in this game and maybe for the next couple games and looking sort of how that offense did last season and co- couple that with the way the Bears defense plays this it's a big game for them they need this win it's in Chicago I could see them getting after Teddy and that being a bit of an issue especially if they don't get Kamara back and they have to rely on Latavius Murray as well so I'm gonna I, this is going to be an upset for me. I'm going to take the Bears over the Saints. Next, you have the Ravens going to the Seahawks, and the Seahawks with Russell Wilson looking like an MVP candidate. Um, first in touchdowns, zero interceptions, completion rate. It's one of the best in the NFL, and he's got his team, the Seahawks, sitting at 5-1. and one. Um, Lamar Jackson on the other side of the field has played exceptionally well all season, as we all know that. Um, I am going to take the Seahawks in this one, though. The 12th man being in Seattle, and the Seahawks to me are just a way more complete team. And the way they've been able to run the ball the past couple weeks and impose their will, and last week them being down in Cleveland, uh, down 18 points, not losing their head and sticking with the game plan and doing what they need to do, and a bit of a just like, a cra- not crazy, because I imagine this happens more, but than what we think, but how crazy well it worked out. At one point in the game, uh, for a touchdown drive, when they were down, I believe, maybe 11 or maybe 18 points itself, Russell Wilson lost contact with the offensive coordinator with the electronics and the earpieces or whatever in the helmet that all quarterbacks have with the offensive coordinator or the head coach or whoever calls the plays. And he was able to call the plays and know the game plan well enough that it resulted in a touchdown on that drive. I think that speaks volumes to how well Russell Wilson is as a leader, as a quarterback, and how well he just knows the game of football and how well he can orchestrate drives and get players and guys the ball in the right position to help this team win so to me I got the Seahawks over the Ravens next we have the Eagles going to the Cowboys and both of these teams coming off two bad losses the Eagles losing to the Vikings in extraordinary fashion and the Cowboys losing pretty badly to the Jets with a returning Sam Darnold Again, both of these teams need this victory extremely, extremely badly. And I think the Cowboys are going to be more inclined to get the win. But if there is no um, Amari Cooper, then the weakness, the biggest weakness for the Eagles in that secondary becomes quite minuscule because, yes, Michael Gallup is good, but the other receivers that the Cowboys have if they don't have Randall Cobb um, I mean you have Tavon Austin you have Devin Smith two deep ball guys you have Jason Winton underneath but nothing that would really scare me as a Eagles fan and so gosh this is hard to do I'm going to predict that because Carson Wentz 
Yeah, because of Carson Wentz and Peterson, I'm going to go with the Eagles to go into Jerry World on Sunday night and get the victory over the Cowboys. And then the Monday night game, the Patriots going up against the Jets. Um, I got nothing really else to say there besides the two names of the teams. You have the Patriots and the Jets, and the Patriots are going to Patriot, and the Jets are going to Jet. The only thing that you could say maybe could concern is that Philip Drissett, he did come back to practice this week, but he's still his status is still unknown, and the status of Josh Gordon is still unknown, but the way that Brady and Belichick are able to use different weapons um, that they seem to find every week and highlight matchups and everything like that that is in their favor, what, what in the world would make you think that would change for this week? Um, it doesn't. It probably won't. So uh, I'm going to take the Patriots, shockingly, over the Jets on Monday Night Football to move the Patriots to 7-0. and all right, that concludes this week's episode of Carson Sack Podcast. I appreciate you tuning in. The NBA returns next Tuesday, so I'm going to push the release of episode 61 to Thursday because I would like to talk about the opening night games of the NBA season that is headlined by the Lakers and the Clippers, and those two new squads come together in their first matchup. So there's an update on next week's episode. Um, keep... Keep listening to this podcast. I really appreciate it. Share it with people if you'd like. It helps a lot and goes a long way. Um, I haven't really... I thanked you all for the 10,000 listens a couple weeks ago. But I would just also like to go on here now. And thank you all for the continued support. Um, Ran into a bunch of old buddies from... UK this past weekend when I visited and they all asked about the podcast and were genuinely interested and it meant a lot to have people ask me about it and everything so I thank you all for that um next Thursday episode 61 will be here thank you all for tuning in to Carson Sack Podcast episode 60 and again Carson Sack Podcast where we talk balls and as we always end here we will be Without a follow, without a mission You really piping up on these niggas You gotta be nice for what to these niggas